Daniel in the court of the king. Of course, that will be the king of Babylon. Let's start off, though, by going back to Genesis. Not Daniel. I'm going to get my little ribbon, though. I'm going to put it in Daniel. So I'm going to be back there. But let's go back to Genesis 11. And read one through, chapter, uh, verses 1 through 3. It says that the whole world, and this is after the uh, time when uh, God had kind of done the reset button on, on creation. There was a flood. Uh, everything started over again. And what people wanted to do was not pleasing to God. It says, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain of or sorry, a plain in Shinar, Shinar. And they settled there. And they said to one another, come, let's uh, make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we make, may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Of course, uh, God wanted them to be scattered over the earth. He said, go forth, multiply. And uh, Babylon was uh, where it all begins as far as human self-government is concerned. And God was not pleased with what they were up to. And he frustrated the languages. And the people did indeed have to scatter and cover the, cover the rest of the earth. Last week we talked a bit about the history of uh, the book of Daniel and where he comes from. And the purpose was to get it solidified in our minds that, you know, this is real. This is a real person. And I told you that in 605 B.C. the army of Babylon moved into the area of the world we know as Palestine. And they subjugated the kingdom of Judah. And they carted off the treasures and they took much of the nobility and the royal family and all the skilled tradesmen as captives. And Daniel was among the captives. Now, let's uh, take a look at Daniel 1. And it says that in verse 2, it says, These he, Nebuchadnezzar, carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in a treasure house of his God. In the Hebrew text of Daniel Babylon is called by its ancient name. It actually doesn't say Babylon there. What it says is Shinar. I think if you're reading the King James, you'll see that. It says Shinar. That's the ancient name for Babylon. It's a name, when it's used in Daniel, that's pointing us back to Genesis 11. It's pointing us back to the very, very beginning when people sought to unify themselves under one government and to magnify themselves before God. I think that kind of plays into a little bit some of the comments that I, I made during the announcements about human self-rule. It's been going on for a long time. And uh, God has an, he has an opinion about it. <laughs> now Babylon in the time of, da of Daniel, therefore, was not, it wasn't a new concept. It wasn't the new kid on the block. It was only the most recent version of an ancient civilization 
there between the Tigris and the Euphrates River. And Babylon itself had risen and fallen many times. And from the biblical perspective, probably a good time to put your phone on mute. And from a biblical perspective, Babylon is the place where wickedness dwells. Wickedness dwells. Um, Go to Zechariah 5. Babylon is woven through scripture. You find it all sorts of places. Here's one in Zechariah. Chapter 5, verse 5 through 11, it says, Then the angel who was speaking to me, speaking to the prophet Zechariah, came forward and said to me, Look up and see what is appearing. And I asked, Well, what is it? And he replied, It's a basket. And I, I asked, Oh, and then he added, This is the iniquity of the people throughout the land. Then the cover of lead was raised, and there in the basket sat a woman. And he said, This is wickedness. And he pushed her back into the basket and pushed its lead covered down on it. And then I looked up, and before me were two women with the wind in their wings, and they had wings like those of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between heaven and the earth. Where are you taking the basket, I asked the angel who was speaking to me. And he replied, To the country of Babylon, to build a house for it. And when the house is ready, the basket will be set there, in its place. Babylon is the place where wickedness dwells, and it's still the same. Babylon remained the biblical label for the uh, wicked nature of human self-government from the time of Daniel to Zechariah to our day, the very end times when Christ returns. Babylon is a cultural, social, and political model of human self-government with its own standards of righteousness, its own standards of righteousness, standards that are presented as the alternative to the righteousness and the authority of God. Now Daniel, as we covered last week, and we'll get into a little bit, he lived in a Babylonian world. You and I live in a Babylonian world. You might, you know, you, I think people, stop that. There we go. I mean, people love their country and so forth, but you are still living in a Babylonian world. Daniel, and we'll go through this, had to find a way to live and survive in a culture that was hostile to God and hostile to God's truth. You and I must also find a way to survive in a culture hostile to God. And it is a hostile culture. When push comes to shove, it's not your friend. The record of Daniel's exploits in the court of the king do not offer us a handbook of what to do in every situation that comes our way. No, no, no. 
For that, the Bible would have to be as big as this room and bigger. Because there's always a twist and a wrinkle, always a twist and a wrinkle in every situation that we face. But through Daniel, through Daniel, we do learn a little bit about what is expected of us if we are to find favor, if we are to find protection and blessing from God. Go to John 17. Verse 15 and through 17. Jesus' words here. His prayer for you. My prayer is not that uh, you, speaking to the Father, my prayer is not that you, O Father, take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them. Set them apart by the truth, and your word is that truth. So we are to be in it, and like it or not, you are in it, but we are not to be of it. This is not our fight. So let's take a look at Daniel. I'm going to go back there to Daniel. And I want to start off with a somewhat foundational concept. How do we know what's good? What's good in your eyes? What's good in the eyes of Babylon? In Daniel, we'll pick it up in chapter 1, verse 3, 3 through 5. It says, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude of every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Okay, so notice, first off, there's some value, values here. Notice the emphasis on status, royalty, nobility. Notice the emphasis on beauty, physical beauty. Notice the emphasis on intellect. These are the values of the Babylonian culture. Okay? It's a quick listing of what is considered good and worthwhile in the eyes of this world. None of these is evil. There's nothing wrong with status. God grants status to people. It's not intrinsically right or wrong. There's nothing wrong with beauty. And there's nothing wrong with intellect. Nothing wrong with any of these things. But they're a false measure of what is good and what is evil. They're a false measure measure of what is good and what is evil, what is eternal and what is lasting. God has a very, def very different definition of what, is, of what is good, what makes something good. Now, if you think about what, what's going on here, I mean, Daniel had just been told, you are among the most handsome, most intelligent, you know, classiest people and we're going to pick you and put you in the king's service. 
Now, if someone came up to you and said all that to you, you might respond by thinking, yeah. And, you know, think, yeah, you know, he's right. I am, I am pretty special. So Daniel had that opportunity. He could have been filled with pride and self-importance. Babylon considered him very worthy. And look, you know, he was handsome. He was intelligent. He was of noble birth. But to find favor with God, Daniel actually had to end up resisting all that, that whole system of values. Now, some of us in God's church, some of us in God's church have a lot going for us. You know, we got, we're firing on all eight cylinders. Some people on six, some of us on one. Uh, Some of us have a lot going for us. Others don't. And we have to be careful that we have God's set of values, what, what we use to evaluate what's good and what's not, uh, not Babylon's standards. God's standards for what's considered good are very different. Humility, patience, gentleness, self-control, And to find favor with God, we have to start building our lives and our definitions of what's important and what's good on these standards. There's a set of uh, scriptures there in um, 1 Corinthians where Paul says, the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God is foolishness to this world. But the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. And so it is. God has a different set of values. And this world that we live in, this this Babylon that we live in, has a very different way of assessing what's worthy and what's not. Let me go to my next little slide here. Yes. Babylon tests Daniel's values. And of course, you know, look, Babylon tests your values and my values too. Go to Daniel, back to Daniel, and let's pick it up in verse 6. It says, among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach and to Azariah Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief officials for or the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has assigned for you food and drink. Why should he see that you're looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. And Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables and eat, uh, vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to all this and tested them for 10 days. 
So to stay true to himself and who he was and who he represented, a servant of the living God, Daniel had to face a situation and it took courage. Sorry, it took, I want them in the right order. Conviction, it took courage, wisdom, commitment, and self-control. So that's five points, and those are the five points I'm going to follow up on. Conviction, courage, wisdom, commitment, and self-control. And the values that Daniel is being tested, the value, if you will, that Daniel's being tested on here is don't eat unclean meat, right? That's there. Now, you might think, okay, well, that, <laughs> well, what's the big deal? I mean, that seems pretty trivial, you know. Do I get pepperoni on my pizza or not? What about the weightier matters of the law? You know, this clean and unclean meat, eh, you know, it's not a weighty matter of the law, is it? You know, what about justice? Truth. Uh, okay. Jesus said, if you're faithful in small things, you're faithful and true in small matters, this is the parable of the pounds, I will give you authority over much. But let's see what you do on these small matters, okay? Let's see how you roll with these. So you might think, okay, clean and unclean meats, you know, I'm a good person otherwise, you know, is this such a big deal? Is this worth forfeiting my life? There are other things that could fall into this category. You know, what about, what about attendance at services? You know, is it a weightier matter of the law? Does it really matter? I'm a good person. I mean, I'm with God. I'm with the program. But, you know, God has asked us to attend a holy convocation on the seventh day. So it's a small matter. But God says if you're faithful in small matters, I will give to you much. I mean, you know, they're pretty simple. You know, people have laughed, I think, kind of at the clean and unclean meat and said, oh, well, that's the commandments, the best kept in the church of God. Well, yeah, because it's so simple. But it is something that God puts on your plate, if you will, and wants to see, well, what are you, you going to do? I'll give you something real simple. What are you going to do? Daniel had to deal with this. And it might seem like a small matter, but it wasn't. It was actually a big deal because it had something to do with who Daniel was and who he represented and was he willing to obey. And he faced it. First point, conviction. You need this and I need this to be fully convinced. Daniel had to be fully convinced that the commandments and the statutes and the judgments of God were valid, that they were necessary and that they were important. And you and I need that same conviction to withstand a test of godly values you and I must have some core things established. You and I must believe that God is there. He is there. He is living. He is thinking. He is paying attention and he is actively engaged. God exists. You and I must also have a conviction that you have access to the sure word of God found in scripture. That's kind of what last week's message was thinking about. This is real. The Bible is valid. 
It is true. You and I must have conviction. If we're going to stand up to a test, you have to believe. And you have to have taken the time to know what the scriptures say. And I, I think it's more than just reading the scriptures, because a lot of people read the scriptures, but know what it says. And so I think that we need to have a certain degree of focus on doctrine and moral instruction. To withstand a test on any point of doctrine or moral behavior or worship, you have to know. And you have to know that you know. I, I know what this, this is about. And you have to know why it matters. And that takes time and that takes application. I mean, Daniel had to be pretty convicted if he was going to put his life on the line over whether or not he has pepperoni on his pizza. So Babylon tests the values. Daniel had been raised in the truth. And many of us here have been raised in the truth. That's not my tale, but it's many people's tale. Um, so he had good habits of thought and behavior. You know, and I think if you raise your kids, for example, you know, clean and unclean meat, they stick with that pretty, pretty well. Um, but at some point, Daniel had to make it his own. This is my thing. Because in the courts of Babylon, no one was watching. And you know, he could do what he wanted to do, whatever he wanted to do. And what did Daniel want to do? He wanted to obey. And that took some courage. That took some courage. Because Daniel's request was risky. He was taking a big risk. The king might have interpreted all this as an insult. I offer you the finest in the land and you turn me down? Poof. Or worse. Daniel could have lost his favorable circumstances. And he was in the court of the king. There were perks. And even if his plan had worked, you know, the plan that he put forward to the, the chief official, even if it worked, uh, it was probably going to ostracize him and make him enemies from among the other members of his peer group who were going along with it. And if you read forward in Daniel, you, that's kind of the way it looks. For example, Daniel 3 verse 8 tells us that, uh, you know, the, <laughs> they were looking for, the other uh, wise men, if you will, they were looking for a way to denounce the Jewish guys. Now, courage is not a matter of ignoring reality. So facing up to a test is not a matter of ignoring reality or pretending that threats aren't there. They're very real, and they're very real in our world and our lives as well. Courage is this. Courage understands that there may be painful consequences. But courage does it anyway. Because of conviction. Because it's convicted about the point of conflict, whatever it might be. And in this case, God says, God says, some foods are off limits. And Babylon says, no, they're not. And this can extend into other areas of your life. God says some 
He says some things are just off limits for us. Babylon says, oh, no, they're not. You can do whatever you want. But for Daniel, his identity as a man under the authority and the judgment of God meant more than all the perks and all the status and all the tasty treats of Babylon. Wisdom. Wisdom. It's another tool that Daniel had to use to face this test. And Daniel, I believe, fulfilled the biblical charge to be harmless as a dove, but wise as a serpent. So how did Daniel approach this man who had you know, <laughs> tremendous power over him? Well, first of all, he asked permission. Even though he was on the side of right, God was with him, he didn't say, I refuse because God is with me. He asked permission. He approached the man, he asked permission rather than demanding accommodation. And he, you know, he had God's favor, as we read. He had God's favor. God was in his corner, such that this, this man, this chief official, was willing to listen to him. Yet even with God's intervention, Daniel still approached the man respectfully and rationally. And that is a we must have that same outlook to the people of this world and the system that we live in. In it, not of it, but we have to be respectful and we have to be clear thinking. What else did Daniel have going? We had respect, rational. He offered this chief official a reasonable plan. Let's just try it and see how it works. Okay, let's try it. Let's see how it works. And I would think, you know, to this guy, that, that made sense. Okay, I can buy that. that. That makes sense. And he was actually considerate. Because this guy was, this, this chief official, he had, he had, he could lose, you know, if things went badly, he was going to be in a pickle with the king. So Daniel took into consideration how this request could hurt the official in the eyes of the king. And in the same way, we should present our desire to serve God and our desire to promote God's truth on all matters, including the sanctity of life, if you will, but we, in the same way, should present these things of God in a manner that makes sense to outsiders. Instead of you know, blasting away at them about things that they, they don't believe. So what's the point of blasting away at them about something? They don't even believe it in the first place. And they don't care. Do never forget that you know, they're as equally convinced of their own position as you are of yours. People do not go around in this world thinking, you know, I'm going to do some evil today. Or, you know what, I'm going to make a decision. It's the wrong decision, but I'm going to make it anyway. That's not how people operate. People are convinced that what they are doing is right. And you need to think about that when you present God's truth to them. And that, you know, that's respect, consideration, 
rationality doesn't change anything. <laughs> doesn't change what's right and what's wrong. But I think Daniel sets us a good example. Good example. Daniel was a captive in the courts of Babylon, uh, but he was still a representative of God. He was in a tough position, but he was still a representative of God and God's truth. And you and I live in a modern Babylon. And we might disagree, and we often do, disagree with our society's positions on matters that pertain to God, worship, morality, God's law. But we have a responsibility to represent God with respect, but with firmness and well-thought-out words, words fitly spoken. And this requires time, and this requires effort. The scriptures say, be ready to give an answer. Be ready to give an answer, a reason, and an explanation for the truth you believe. So even if you're a teenager, and you know this, being ready helps to approach in a respectful manner what God is expecting from us. And it, it, it works. It works. Be ready to give an answer, reason, and an explanation for what you do, why you do it. Our fourth point. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I don't have a slide for this, but uh, our fourth point is commitment. Now, Daniel had proposed this 10-day test. Alrighty? And uh, after the test... The appointed guard, this chief official, could decide for himself if it's working. Let's try this for 10 days, see how it works, then I'm going to let you decide. You know, Daniel didn't say, we'll do this for 10 days and then God will make up the decision. He said, no, you're going to decide, guy. You decide what to do with us. I think, let me read what he says here. Um, he says... Uh, Right, then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. Now, I do not believe that this meant that Daniel would eat whatever he had to if the test failed. Let's say that the, 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 the test didn't work out and the guy decided, no, this is not working we got to go with the king's original plan. I don't interpret this as Daniel saying, okay, well, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll do whatever needs to happen, but let's do this test and then move forward. I believe otherwise. You know, this didn't mean Daniel was going to do whatever he had to do if the test failed, if God failed him or God didn't deliver, let's put it that way. I believe it meant that he would accept the consequences of his firm resolve and his firm decision to not eat unclean food. You know, we'll do this test, you decide, and then we'll, you know, we're in your hands. And that could be execution, <laughs> could have meant prison, or, you know, just being sent back to the work camps with the rest of the captives down the Kibar River, making mud bricks for your, for your uh, daily wage. Daniel's obedience, Daniel's obedience was not contingent 
upon God's deliverance. He was going to obey anyway. And it's a perspective that we must have. As Jesus said to Satan, do not put God to the test. Don't test God. God might test you. God might test me. But it's not for you or me to test God. God might throw down a challenge and he might say, okay, you, test me on this. And he does that. We see that in scripture. God throws down the challenge and says, okay, test me. But it's not for us to test God. And he might do something miraculous and say, okay, here's proof of me, like he did with Gideon. But it's not for us to say, I want some proof. Who did that? The Pharisees and the Sadducees who gathered around Jesus and said, show us a sign. What did he say to them? Signs are for unbelievers. You know, you don't want to be in that category. We don't test God. It's not for us to demand that God prove himself to us. To say, I will believe God if he does X is displeasing to God. That was the nature of Satan's attack on Job. That's what Satan said to, to, to God about Job. He said, this Job guy only obeys you because you bless him with wealth and health and family. So think of well, you know, the, 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 who are we dealing with here? Who's making these claims? These are satanic ways of thinking. That God needs to prove himself to us. So demanding a sign is a satanic way of thinking. Doctrine of demons, if you will. We don't test God. Daniel was going to, he was going to obey. One way or the other. And in the same way, you know, Daniel could have argued. He could have argued, God has not saved us. Here I am. I'm a prisoner in Babylon. I got carted away from the holy city. God hasn't saved us. Things aren't working out. Why obey? No one's going to know what I do. And no one's going to care. Why obey? We must be committed Things might go this way, they might go that way, but we need to be committed to obedience to God. I'm going to talk about a little technique that's good for commitment. I don't know if Daniel did this per se, but I think he probably did. The power of remembering, the power of remembering, and this plays into miracles and signs and stuff like that. And so I put this picture here. That's Moses. <laughs> that's the parting of the Red Sea. Okay, that's the, that's the big miracle of Scripture, right? Um, the power of remembering is a technique that is brought out over and over and over and over in Scripture, particularly in the book of Psalms, that we should hang on to and remember the mighty works of God. That's what the Passover is all about. Remember. Remember. And then, you know, it plays into last week's sermon. 
we're going to remember something, it's good to believe that it's true. Like the parting of the Red Sea. I mean, if you look into the book of Psalms, I think you'll be, you'll be amazed at how many times the Psalms say, remember when God delivered us through the Red Sea. Even the commandment that brings you here today on the Sabbath, you know, God delivered you out of bondage. Remember, remember, that's part of the Sabbath day, a remembrance. To remember the proofs of God's power. God doesn't come every time you need to make a decision, perform a miracle so that, okay, no, I'm making the right decision. That's not how God operates. He tells you, remember. Now, Scripture is more than a a handbook of moral behavior. There's instruction, moral instruction within the scripture, but it, it is also a record. It is a record of God's interventions in human history. There's a big one. And that's why we spend time going over the biblical record of past events and tying them into history and dates and archeology span these matters can be verified. They can be backed up. And they're there in Scripture so that you might have confidence in God's supreme rule over all creation. Okay. In addition to this biblical history, you also have your own personal history. Your own personal history. And you, you can hold on to that as well. If you have believed and been baptized, at some point, God has proven himself to you to the extent that you are willing to make a commitment. And I don't know what your personal walk is, what, what's happened. I think many of us have experienced God's intervention in our life in small ways, sometimes in very big ways. And then we move on with our life and we live our life, Right? And you kind of forget, and it gets kind of fuzzy because that's how the human brain works, right? And you, you forget. But I think it's important for us to remember. Remember how God has delivered you. And sometimes, you know, we're very excited about it while it's happening. Whoa, deliverance! <laughs> and I've seen people very excited about deliverance. And use that as a tool to help you in those other times when you're being tested. And God wants to see, oh, okay, what are, you, what are you made of? What are you going to do if I don't appear to you in a vision every time? <clears throat> so just remember how God has worked with you and hang on to that. Remember the many ways, sometimes quiet, sometimes subtle ways, that God has demonstrated to you that he is with you. And he is working for you. Blessing you. Answering prayer. Remember those things. Remember them. The power of remembering is a biblical technique for withstanding trial. Sometimes your prayers are not answered. Sometimes they're not answered. And sometimes you might wonder, wonder where God is. Daniel might have wondered that. You know, <laughs> Here he is, I'm a prisoner in Babylon. God's holy city has fallen to foreign armies. Everything's going terribly wrong. Where is God? 
And sometimes you're tested. Daniel appears to have been ready for that situation. He appears to have been ready. And I put it to you, he'd probably been raised well. He had conviction. He had courage. used wisdom. And he was committed to this, this program that he was part of. Um, and all those tests, if they failed, he was ready to bear the consequences. When the dictates of the state and the rules of Babylon, when the values of Babylon conflict with God, Daniel knew he must obey. He must obey. Obey God rather than obey man. So the fifth point, self-control. The food, the food that Daniel was offered was the finest in the land. This was the king's table. The finest, I mean the smell of the grilled meat probably wafted through the air. The wine was rich, full-bodied, with twinkling bubbles. It was Mm, it was the best. And everybody else was eating it. It had to be very tempting. The human mind is a tricky, tricky, tricky thing. It's a tricky thing. Because part of it, part of this blob in, there, in your head is spirit. And capable of the loftiest most spiritual thoughts imaginable. And part of it is flesh. Part of it is flesh, driven by appetites for food, sex, and power. And it's all wrapped up in a, <laughs> a little bundle inside your head. All right, so uh, let me get my little ribbon out here. Daniel, and I'm going to go to Romans 7. Romans 7, verse 21. <clears throat> Through 29. <clears throat> Here's Paul writing, and I think he's addressing this tricky little thing in our head. In Romans 7, verse 21, he says this. So, I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am, and who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Well, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my flesh a slave to the law of sin. Slave to the law of sin. 
Now, that's what Paul said a little bit about some of the stuff that's going on here in your mind and mine. But we are not permitted to use that as an excuse for sin. That No, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to say, well, it's a tricky thing. Therefore, you know, stuff happens. We're not permitted to use this as an excuse for sin. Rather, it is a call to battle. Go to 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Speaking here in very material terms, to make a very spiritual point, Paul says this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly, and I do not fight like a boxer simply beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body, and I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. It's a call to battle. And it's amazing to me how much of Paul's pastoral writing circles back to matters of food, sex, and, and another big one, status, and power. You know, establishing and maintaining a pecking order. Um, if you want, you can check out on your own later, Galatians 5, verse 19. The fruits of the flesh, or the works of the flesh, spells out the passions of the flesh. And, and, and see how many of them are related to status and politicking. works of the flesh. Sex is in there too. <laughs> the flesh, not only is it tricky, it's very persuasive. It's very persuasive. Very persuasive. The flesh presents you with some compelling arguments. And the flesh, and there's more of it down here of course, the flesh has a lot of allies. It has all those hormones. It has all those nerve endings. And it's got all that genetically uh, coded survival mechanism stuff working on its side. And that's all operating within your, your person. And that's on the side of the flesh. And so the flesh's case is very simple and effective. If it feels good, it is good. And that's what your flesh says to you. If it feels good, it is good. And the spirit part of you can be beguiled, tricked by this material logic. Because there is logic to it. You know, the spirit can say, you know, surely a loving God would not want me to miss out. God wouldn't want me to miss out. He wouldn't want me to miss out on all that life has to offer. God would, would not, he doesn't want me to never enjoy X. Now, X could be 
different things, right? Food, sex, status. Food is not evil. Sex is not evil. Status is not evil. And it's God's will that you enjoy and experience these things. Oh, yep. I mean, his offer to you at the resurrection is status. But he offers you these things with established boundaries. And there are certain expressions of eating and drinking which God considers unclean. There are certain expressions of sexuality that God considers out of bounds. And those who are proud and arrogant and filled with themselves because of their status are an abomination to God. So it's about boundaries. Now we should take care that we know what these boundaries are. Why they're necessary and why they matter. And that takes mental effort. We must rule over our spirit and our spirit must rule over our flesh. And this, require, this is self-control. And we base those things on, we base our understanding of the, of the boundaries on scripture. Scriptural parameters. Let's go back to Daniel. And uh, chapter 1. <clears throat> verse 15 and 16. It says, at the end of the ten days they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the other young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away the choice food and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. So Daniel's resolve and his conviction found favor with God, and he was delivered. And as a result of that, he was set up. But not set up so that he could enjoy a life of luxury, I think that his life had some luxuries, but that was not God's purpose. Daniel was... Oh, was I already there? No, I'm missing a slide. Yeah, he was positioned to serve God in the court of the king. Positioned to serve God in a greater way. So let's go to verse 17. It says, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief officials presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, and the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's, king's service, and in every matter of wisdom, and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters of his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So he was there throughout the rest of the Babylonian rule. Daniel was given a commission to serve Nebuchadnezzar. Now, if he'd never gotten himself into that whole controversy about clean and unclean meat, um, you know, he probably probably would have attained some minor position in the, in the courts of the king, you know. And uh, he would have enjoyed a nice life, you know. 
But Daniel's resolve and commitment to obey God also set him up to serve God in a big way. God gave him special gifts of knowledge and understanding, and he, Daniel, would be a witness of God's truth to the first of the great Gentile kingdoms. And he would also become a prophet to his own generation and to ours. And it began with obedience. One little thing. Go to Acts 5. Verse 27, I don't mean that it's all little things. I'm saying it began with a little thing here. <clears throat> Acts 5, verse 27. So this is a section where the church is kicked off and the apostles are out there in Jerusalem and they are proclaiming God's truth and they get arrested because they weren't supposed to do that. And in verse 27, it says, The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin, the court, to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. That's the name of Jesus. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. You cannot serve God. And you cannot be a witness of his true message. And you will not properly represent him in a hostile world if you do not obey. So Daniel was trained in literature and the culture of Babylon. <laughs> that was interesting. Because Babylon, you know, they had laws, they had mathematics, as astronomy, and uh, he would have had to learn about their religious system and their customs, their moral code. And some of it would have uh, been value neutral. And some of it would have been opposed to what the truth of God is. But it helped him serve God, knowing these things. Knowing them was not wrong. And to be an effective servant of God... Daniel needed to understand the Babylonians. We, we, we don't get all of his interaction with the Babylonians, but he had to know what they taught, uh, what they believed, and he knew all this, but he held himself apart from it. And you and I are in the same position. We need, we need to understand what's going on in this world. I do not think that it is a, a good program for success to just, you know, put our hands over our ears, la, 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 and not hear what's going on in the world around us or to cover our eyes and say, I don't want to see it. Yeah, there's some things you shouldn't, you know, focus your eyes on, but you do have to see what's going on in the world to understand it. And if you're in a situation where you have to face it, it helps to know where people are coming from. 
So we have to understand what's going on in the world and see it, but not be sucked into it, sucked into their ways, their ways of thinking and their ways of dealing with issues. Because you and I also live, we live in a Babylonian world. I mean, you know, you might think, well, the United States is different. No, it isn't. It's very blessed by God, I believe. But it's still built on a foundation. No. No. It's not built on a godly foundation. It's got different values. God has not called you, and he's not called me, to be whisked off to some safe place where we're off the grid and where we can practice our religion without any conflict, questioning, or trials. You have been called to serve him as a witness of his ways. Maybe it's in little ways. Maybe it'll never make a difference. Nebuchadnezzar was never converted to the truth by Daniel. Never. Go to 1 Peter 3. So it's not about changing people. I mean, it'd be great. We definitely want that. God, you know, he, he, he tasks us with putting it out in front of people, but it's up to God to deal with what's going on inside their head. But we are called to serve him as a witness of his ways and of his truth. Go to 1 Peter 3, verse 13. Peter writing to the church here that is being persecuted, is having a hard time. And uh, he talks about suffering, even when you're doing stuff that's good. And he says, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do what is good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. And do not fear their threats, and do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. And always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. And that's a phrase that means knowing right from wrong. I wish it was better translated, because that's basically what he's getting at. Knowing right from wrong, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So you have been called to serve God as a witness of his ways. And that begins with obedience. Obedience.